You love your Bible? All right. Um, I'm going to have you go to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, and then we're going to go to John chapter 6, verses 52 through 59. Uh, I got a lot of work today uh, and a lot of ground to lay, so I need everybody just to lean in, all right, and get ready because we've got some context that we need to build, some background stuff. We're going to talk about some history stuff, and then we're going to get to the practical matters of this message. But <clears throat> I'm, I'm really excited about this, this message today. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 says this, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest. Come on, everybody shout rest. rest. Everybody shout rest. rest. Rest for your soul. So this is the scripture that has been anchoring this series that we've been in and are continuing called Saving Sacred. Now go with me to John chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible today, that's all good. You can see it up on the screens. John chapter 6, verses 52 to 59. I just tried to scroll my paper. Um, <laughs> guys, this is going to mess me up. What is paper? John chapter, <laughs> John chapter 6, verses 52 to 59 says this. Then the Jews, or the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man... Give us his flesh to eat. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. I know for some of us right now, we are freaking out. This is like, what kind of weird piece of the Bible is this? As the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of the fathers ate and died. Now Jesus is referencing the Old Testament, specifically as Moses would lead uh, the Exodus, the children of Israel, and manna would come from heaven and they would eat of it. He says, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Today, as we continue on in our series, Saving Sacred, I wanna speak to you from the subject, bread baskets and Team Edward. (laughs) Bread baskets and Team Edward as we look at the sacred path of communion. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's acting and that it cuts to the core of who we are. And so God, I pray for every single one of us in this room today and online, those of us who have been following you for years and those of us who are kicking the tires of faith and those of us who maybe just came in here today because we're searching for something and we don't know what it is. No matter where we're at, God, I pray that we would hear you and experience you in this moment. May your grace and your strength be applied in and through this word today. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Um, Does anybody else love the Cheesecake Factory? Show of hands. Like, remember Cheesecake? Okay, come on, raise them high. Like, there's no shame. Okay, I love the Cheesecake Factory. We don't go there as much as we should. Um, (laughs) But I love the Cheesecake Factory. But here's why. Not because of why you may think. I hate cheesecake. I know. I know. Like, it's a big deal. Um, I despise, uh, it's like bad. It's horrible. Um, But Cheesecake Factory has something I love. And that is their bread baskets. You know what I'm talking about. 
And how many of you, like my family, we push all the sourdough aside, we try to give them to our neighbors, and we eat the, the oat bread that comes out. You know what I'm talking about? It's got the oatmeal on top of it. Can, can, can I get a witness in church today? Yeah, you get some warm butter on that, and yeah, you just, woo, you're like gone. It's a praise party having in a cheesecake factory. So now everywhere we go, doesn't matter what restaurant we go to, I always ask for a bread basket. Erica always asks for a bread basket. Hey, can we get bread? They're like, we don't, we don't serve bread. We're like, you have a kitchen, and there is bread in that kitchen. I need a bread basket, right? There is something about bread before dinner. In 2008, a cult movie phenomenon was released that would incite one of the great debates of the 21st century. Team Edward or Team Jacob? Now, I hope you sense the great degree of sarcasm that I'm using right now. For those of you who don't know, The Twilight Saga was a popular movie series that made its debut as a book series released between uh, 05 and 08, and then they were eventually adapted to film, unfortunately. <laughs> now, while this is not a film critique that I'm, I'm doing this morning, The Twilight series and subsequent movies locked into a cultural fascination with vampires the supernatural as a whole, and, the, and the supernatural as a whole. Many of the highest grossing movies, as well as chart toppers for movie rankings, include movies with supernatural themes, plots, and overtones. Because here's the truth. We are all fascinated by that which is outside of our understanding and grasp. Now, what do bread baskets and the Twilight series have to do with Jesus' ancient paths and saving sacred? I'm glad you asked. John chapter six, verses 52 to 59, Jesus would bring into focus the sacred truth and the sacred path of bread and blood. Bread and blood. And this is a really big teaching point for him. Now I know, when you read this particular piece of scripture as we just did, it gets weird quick. And I don't care where you're at on the journey of faith. Like, it, it doesn't matter. This is a weird scripture. If you're joining us for the first time today, in-house, online, you're like, this is, this is a weird piece of Bible. And guess what? We're not the only ones to think that. It would be right here in John chapter six, verse 60, he would say, it would say this, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? <laughs> That's the dudes that followed Jesus. Right, It was like one of those moments where even his friends, they're walking with him and they're like, yeah, I, this, Jesus has lost his mind. What are, we, what are we talking about here? So this is a hard piece of scripture, one that you're not even gonna hear talked about that much in church, but I've, I've decided that I wanna try to tackle it with us and get somewhere with it. Maybe the people that Jesus was speaking to didn't have an opinion on vampires or werewolves, but they did understand bread and blood. And before Jesus would level one of his most offensive teachings concerning himself, the very people surrounding him, so this is the backdrop, this is the context I need us to grab a hold of, the very people that were surrounding him, listening to this flesh and blood message that he's giving, were the people who were with him previously during one of his greatest miracles, and that was the feeding of the 5,000. So they had already experienced Jesus and bread. He would multiply fishes and loaves and everyone would be fed. And now these very people who had received dinner from Jesus were following him once again. 
John chapter six, verse 25 through to 26 tells us this. It says this, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. See, Jesus knew that these people were following him because they needed a fix to their natural problems. Yet Jesus was gonna flip the script on them and help them understand that it wasn't a natural problem they were facing, it was a supernatural issue that they were facing. Bread and blood. Bread baskets, Team Edward. Ultimately, this teaching on bread and blood would be jarring and offensive. So I wanna dial in just a little bit more. Why? Why is bread and blood so crazy for these guys? Well, the blood issue was not a new concept for them. According to the law, and especially for those in the crowd descending from Jewish ancestry, blood was in fact something that would bring defilement to their life, and they were actually told to stay away from. Leviticus chapter 17, 10 through 12 tells us this. It says this, anyone from the house of Israel or from the aliens who reside among them who eats any blood, I will turn against that person who eats blood and cuts him off from, and cut him off from his people. For the life of a creature, listen to this, for the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives, since it's the lifeblood that makes atonement. You hear the overtones here? And therefore I say to the Israelites, none of you and no alien who resides among you may eat blood. So now Jesus, understanding this, understanding that they were following Jesus because they wanted literal bread, and understanding that they had an aversion to blood like many of us would, Jesus now decides, hey, this is gonna be a great moment to do one of my best messages ever. <laughs> and so he gets up in front of everybody and he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everybody's like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> but see, he wasn't trying to deal with literal blood and literal f flesh. Jesus was calculated and precise. His words were never flippant, thoughtless, or irresponsible. Jesus was leading them into a sacred moment, a sacred path, one that almost a year later he would bring full circles. He would sit down at a table with his disciples and break bread and drink wine, and we know this as communion. A year later from this moment, what we're dealing with today is not the systematic approach to communion. That's not what I'm really trying to work through today. What we're trying to deal with today is the sacred path of communion with Christ. Bread and blood. Are you tracking with me so far? I need to lay this foundation in, in order to get to the, the implications of this. See, communion was created to point us to a greater reality. But to understand communion, we have to know Jesus. We're not taking communion today together because I just wanna lay this foundation. We're gonna have a really beautiful moment together as a church as we, as we have our Good Friday service this year live. We won't need to be online. It'll be online, but we're gonna have a Good Friday service where we'll be taking communion together. Why? Because Good Friday is about the bread and the blood. But we're not talking about that necessarily today. 
we're dealing with what it looks like to be in communion, which is what Jesus invites us into. And so today I wanna spend the remainder of our time looking at three significant truths that we need to understand concerning Jesus and his invitation to be in communion with him. Now I'm gonna give you a precursor to this message. I have waited to preach this message until today, because one, I did not want to do it just specifically as we were down for the count for the past two weeks. I wanted to make sure people in the room, I haven't preached live in two weeks, so I have a way high word count, and I'm ready to preach this morning. So I need you to lean in on this one, because this message today is the beat of my heart and the culture of this church. And so I just need you to lean in and be ready to, to, to understand where we are and who we are as a church and ultimately what does it look like to be in communion with Jesus. And the first truth that I want us to grab a hold of today is this, is that in Jesus, we're invited to the table. In Jesus, we are invited to the table. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14 says this. He also said to the one who invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame or blind and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. One more dinner party. Matthew chapter nine, nine through 13. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. Now this is strange, upon follow me, what's the Bible say? He got up immediately and followed him. Could you imagine that type of influence, that type of power, Jesus just strolls by, Matthew, follow me. He's like, yep, all right, let's go. <laughs> He's off to the right, how many of you know if you're wandering City Creek and some random dude walks up to you and be like, hey, Mitch, follow me. You are not following him. You would actually go in the opposite direction, that is, influence right there. So he got up and he followed him. And while he was reclining, so now it fast forwards. Matthew connects to Jesus, follows him, and now it fast forwards and we hit verse 10 and watch what it says. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now when he heard this, Jesus overhearing them, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. And then he says this, go and learn what this means. <laughs> Jesus is savage. <laughs> he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. I love invitations. Anybody else like an invitation? Come on, let me show hands, where am I? Like, uh, even if I don't go. <laughs> I love invitations. Seriously, like I'm the type of person, invite me. Don't not invite me. Let me turn you down, but still invite me. So I, I like, I just want to know that you love me and that you want me there, but I want to be able to say no, right? Like that's like, I love invitation. I don't care if you're introverted or if you are extroverted. All of us love invitations. We love being invited to the party. To be invited is something that we all appreciate. But the invitation that I'm talking about today is so much more than a dinner party. It's an invitation into a new life. That's the invitation that we find in, in communion with Jesus. During the ministry in time 
of Jesus, table fellowship, sharing a meal, was one of the most intimate things that you could do with somebody. And now I need us to understand how intimate this meal was because most of us, we sit at tables at chair, in chairs, don't we? Most of us? Most of you, right? Okay, just making sure. I just need to know, because some of you are like looking at me like, what's a chair? <laughs> so we all sit at the table, and we have dinner, together. there's plate and forks and knives and everything like that, everybody sits around on the table. And, and we could sit at the table with anybody. Like, we do it at restaurants sometimes, a while ago. Um, but... <laughs> So we sit, we sit at these tables and chairs and everything like that, but this type of dinner party says something very different. So that Jesus was reclining at the table, and it wasn't like a lazy boy recliner. Like, they didn't have this big leather poofy couch. He was reclining, why? Because they would sit at a table like this. How many know if you came over to my house and you laid like this around my table, <laughs> and I don't know you, you get the point. It's strange. But when, we, when they would recline at the table with one another, when they would sit like this at, at the table, it was an intimate expression. You did this with people you were in relationship with. This is what's so striking about this moment in scripture is because Jesus was making sure that everybody knew he was identifying himself. He said, I need you to know that tax collectors and sinners, these are my people. Let me say that one more time. Tax collectors and sinners, these are my people. It's interesting that the Pharisees and the disciples stood around the table watching what was going on and were having their little side conversation as to how Jesus could be sitting at a table that he shouldn't be sitting at. And Jesus says, I need you to understand something. I didn't come for you, I came for this. I didn't come for those who you're standing around judging everything. I came for those that are at the table. I came for those that don't know me. I came for the sick. Y'all remember high school? You remember the tables you would sit at in high school? How many of you had tables that identified you at high school? Round tables on wheels, you know what I'm talking about? Or the long one? You remember the table, like they had the jock table? Some of the younger ones in here are like, what is, what is happening right now? Okay, so back in my day, how many of you know, I, I, like there was the jock table, right? And then there was the preppy table. That was everybody who could afford Abercrombie and Fitch, right? <laughs> This was just my, my school, right? And then we, had, like, then we had this other table. It was all the cowboys because they had like a club, a car club at my school called Street Rats and they worked on cars. I kid you not, they drive Mustangs and old Camaros to school, right? And horses. And so, <laughs> and they would, they would sit at a table and then that, there was the band table, right? They had their trombones and saxophones and, right? They drank tea and stuff like that and, so sophisticated. They had all these tables that would identify them. And then there was those of us, I was, like, I was one of these guys, I didn't sit at a table because I was like, I'm just gonna roam. I'm a rebel. Your table's not gonna tell me who I am, right? <laughs> so there's all these tables to identify us and that's actually what's happening right here in this moment is that the disciples and the Pharisees were appalled because Jesus was identifying himself. Jesus was saying something to the world around him about who he is. One author wrote this to, to those who live in modern Western society with comparatively few social distinctions have difficulty realizing just how scandalous 
it was for Jesus to associate with outcasts. Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to be with the righteous, but I came to be with sinners. Isn't it interesting that we can have a tendency to spend more time letting everyone know what we are against rather than being with those we should be for? Can I be your pastor today? See, the Pharisees had a prescribed way in which they would have had Jesus do things. The speaking tour, lecture in the synagogues, wine and dine dignitaries, and play the political game. And why not? If he was to be the Messiah, the new king, then it would have to be this way. But Jesus had another way of doing things. Come on, somebody. He had his father's way of doing things. A way that was at best scandalous and at worst it was crazy. To those who needed Jesus to fit their mold, it was quickly destroyed because he would go town to town, city to city, and house to house, sitting with those who were the outcasts and the sinners and the marginalized and the rejected. Why? Because Jesus was never meant to propagate a system. He was meant to populate heaven. But man, isn't humanity inclined towards systematics? It's gotta be this way. It's gotta be like this. Even some of us right now in this room, you stepped into the first time to a church, which it can be scary because there's lots of people and, and you don't know what's going on and some dude's shouting at you and the worship's really loud and people's hands are raised and it would be really easy to say like, I don't know if I fit in here and I just need you to hear it from the horse's mouth, you fit in here. And not because you're cleaning yourself up or getting it all together or trying to make it all new. I need you to understand that you're here because you got a God in heaven who says you need to be here. Why? because I got something better for you. We call it the Great Commission. See, the table shows us that the love of Jesus was not a theological assessment to be made, but rather a practical mandate to be lived out. I love how we stand around talking about the details of love instead of actually doing it. Think about it. Well, I don't know if that was in the Greek. I don't know if that was in the Hebrew. Do you think he really meant like love? Do you think this is what, what about, what about this? You know, Jesus didn't make any assessments of the people who were sitting at the table with him. Jesus was strong enough as who he was that it didn't matter what people said about him because of who he was around. I need us to understand this. This is one of the greatest critiques on the church right now. And can I just, like, I need to help us all out. We don't have to agree with everybody to love everybody. I'm serious. Some of you are trying to, like, work that out. I can guarantee you, you will know this. Become a parent. I love my children on the daily, and I disagree with them on the daily. But I've never said to my son, hey buddy, I can't be around, I fundamentally disagree with you. <laughs> right? Like my theological assessment of you throwing that toy at your sister makes it so that I just, I just, I can't. I can't, I don't want you to think that I condone your behavior because I love you. Can I be your pastor today? <laughs> 
I pull my kid close, come sit at the table with me. Let's have dinner. Yes, I fundamentally agreed that you threw the block at your sister. But I don't push you away from my table. See, scripture's loaded. Oswald J. Smith said it like this, any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. (laughs) The reality is that many of us can spend more time analyzing the Great Commission rather than living it out. We can have philosophical conversations about the Great Commission instead of sitting at a table. You wanna know where ministry happens? At a table. You know where life change happens and mission happens, where healing takes place? The table. You know, it doesn't take much to sit with somebody that doesn't think like you or act like you or talk like you or believe like you to ask the question that we ask at our table on the daily. Give me one high and give me one low from your life. I don't need a theology degree. You guess you see what I'm talking about? It's the table. It's the sacred space of being invited into communion with Jesus and in turn being invited into communion with others. Here's the second truth I want us to grab a hold of today. In Jesus, we're invited into a bigger body. This is the power of connection. First Corinthians chapter 10. Are you guys with me today? All right. First Corinthians chapter 10, 16 through 17 says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? Here's Paul the apostle writing about the same thing. The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread... We who are many are one body, since all of us share this one bread. See, the Bible is littered with this language. The invitation to the table brings growth to the body. And the truth is is that we are not designed or meant to do life disconnected from the body. And being in communion with Christ means that we are in communion with each other. Being a part of this thing called the body, the church is not these four walls. The church is literally you, who you are sitting next to. Look behind you, look to your left, look to your right. That is the body. That is who we are connected to. And the head of that body is Jesus. He is the one we participate in. He is the one that unites us. He is the one that connects us. But we have to be very honest. We clap at that part. Now we do not clap at this next part because we have to be honest that there's mass disconnection right now. This truth of being connected, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Colossians 3, 11, Galatians 3, 28. Now, I'm acutely aware this month of a specific demographic of people, the black and African-American individuals and families that call the well home, as this is Black History Month. And much of the dissonance and disconnected that this community feels and experiences is being exposed right now in this moment. And I know the tension all of a sudden creeps up. I can feel it felt in the first service. Oh, he's, he's making political statements. no. If you think this is a political statement, you're missing the body. 
This is not a political statement. This is a body statement. This is a bread and blood statement. One that the church has to be the forward on. And we've stepped back. No, 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 we gotta be the church. The church proofs it. The church does it. The church works it out. The church crosses over lines and says, wait a second, there is so much more happening here. We have to be connected. To say this is not a statement of politics, it's a statement of historical fact and truth. Read, study, and you'll see it. And what the church has been culpable in over historical spaces is insane at best, evil at worst. Not a political statement, truth. And we have the ability to be better in this moment. See, Jesus calls us to be the church and take up the ministry of reconciliation. Listen to Ephesians chapter four. I'm gonna show you how type, what type of unity he's talking about here. Ephesians chapter four, verses 15 to 16. Are you all right? Are you with me? He says this, but speaking the truth in love, that's what I'm doing right now. (laughs) <laughs> love you mama lang but speaking the truth in love let us grow in every way let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ and from him the whole body fitted and knit every shot knit every shot knit come on every shot knit knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now let me show you what it looks like because this word knit is important to understand. This word knit that Paul the Apostle uses right here is, a, is not connected by way of just holding on to something. Knit together literally means grafted in as ligaments are. How many of you have ever torn a ligament before? How many of you would agree with me it's the worst type of pain you can go through? So Paul the Apostle is suggesting to us is that when things are disconnected that should be knit together, you will and are inflicting a pain upon the body that it should never experience or feel because you are tearing ligaments apart. Okay, so Bree, Mitch, Kaisa, Stephen, Dejan, pop up here really quick. Richie, come on, help me out. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You got this, you, you, come on, baby. You're such a good looking man. <laughs> hop up here, yeah, hop up here. Richie knows I love him. I wouldn't do this to everybody. Some of you would literally leave the church over this moment right here. Erica, pop up here really quick. Richie, come over here. Okay, so this is what Paul's suggesting that we look like. I want you guys to all link arms together. Blake, come on. I know, that took a lot. Look how big you are. (laughs) You moved in sections, like your chest followed you. It's like, oh. Okay, lock arms, lock arms. (laughs) Okay, so 
Paul's suggestion and teaching to us is that this is what the body looks like. Now, for all intents and purposes, we're just doing connection right here, locking of arms. But this is ligaments. And he's saying, listen, we are all being built up into the head, which is Christ. If you try to pull this apart, you're not disconnecting something. You are ripping ligaments that are grafted together. That's the word he uses, knit. Problem that we're experiencing right now is we're not seeing a knit together church. Mitch, like, you guys lock arms? Richie, Bree, you guys come over here, all lock arms? Yeah, Bree's a girl. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you come with, you're going to be, you're going to be women. Okay. Come on. <laughs> Ladies, come over here. I want you to see this and I'm bringing them over here on purpose because I'm going to really push some buttons right now. So this is what the church looks right now. You all don't have a voice. We got our people of color over here. We got our white dudes over here. Sorry, I have to break tension with little jokes. And then somehow, the church is supposed to do the work that Jesus has called us to do when we don't even look like the church that he's designed us to be. And then we throw things out on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram. And I just have to question, why would the world listen to us? I can tell you right now as a senior pastor, the reason that the well is the way the well is is because I don't want this. I don't want this. This doesn't exist in my mind. This doesn't exist in my heart. I need us to understand that we are ligaments. We are people who are connected together. You wanna see the strength of this church? We gotta connect. You wanna see us actually engage the world that we've been called to reach and to love? We talk about, oh, we just gotta love people, but you're not loving people. If we're not connected to the very people we're supposed to be connected to. Am I helping anybody out today? This is not a political message. We've got to move away from that. And I'm just brave enough right now in this season, in this moment, to bring it all out onto the carpet and say, I'm not trying to engage in politics. I'm trying to engage in bread and blood, body and blood, the one who died for us all. Come on, church, it's communion. Come on, church, it's his shed blood, his broken body on the cross, knit together. It's bread and blood. But even worse, it gets even worse because then we do other things like, okay, I'm gonna use, Rach, Sarah, come on, pop up here. You guys come. I'm gonna grab some more of you guys in a second. I'm gonna double down. This is a new one. Come on, come over. I don't know where you guys are gonna stand, but. These two are struggling with addiction. This 
one's really hard. I need, <laughs> not gonna get <laughs> Tim and Josiah, come up here. Come on. These two. Lock arms. Can I do this? I know where you're going. Yeah, I know. <laughs> These two are struggling with same-sex attraction. <laughs> I know. They're not really. But can we talk? Yeah. Body. No one said that any of these issues, and many more I can point out, no one said change was the prerequisite for knit. Now, I know some of you right now are, are struggling because you're like, where is he going with this? Because I only understand a certain, I, I only understand a cer- certain things. No, no, knit together. He never said change was the prerequisite for knit. He said knit together, bread and blood. That's where the transfusion takes place. Change happens when we are knit together. And I can't tell you what the timeline is for those of us in this room right now, statistics would tell us, the size of this church would tell us that we have addiction happening in here, we have same-sex attraction happening in here, we have all kinds of brokenness happening in here. I'm just pulling out the hot topics because I'm just not afraid of them right now because I would rather us be honest and open it up and be a church that can have dialogue and conversation. Jesus never, (laughs) Jesus never said, hey, Matthew and all of your friends, I need to see your qualifications before I can lay at the table with you. So the goal, come on, bring it all together. The goal because of who you are, knitted together with me, it says, I'm not worried about your disposition right now. I love you. 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 Definitely love you. And I love you. And this right here is being knit together in connection with the one who loves greater than our comprehension. And some of us yet will still struggle with the details of this conversation. But don't we have to speak truth? There's truth here. I can give you all of my theological truths in reference to all the things that we're dealing with up here. But my first port of call is not to engage with a hammer. It's to engage with a hand. 
Is that helping anybody today? You guys can sit down. Thanks, guys. Sacred paths. Here's the third truth and the last one, and I won't spend a lot of time on this because I spent more time on that point than I planned on, but (laughs) thanks, guys. The church does not have the space to be an inch deep and a mile wide right now. Because I can tell you right now that this conversation that we just had are the very things that you're looking at on the news, that you're grappling with right now, that you're trying to process through, how do I handle this? These situations represent your friends and your family and your loved ones. Come on. And yet the church isn't talking about it. Or when we do talk about it, we talk about it in such dogmatic ways that we could never recline at the table with somebody. But isn't that permission? No, because here's what I've come to realize. None of us need permission for anything. We all gladly use our license to sin. Right? Like, you didn't ask me permit. like, you didn't call me, hey, Jason, can I have permission to do this today? You didn't care what I thought. Come on. You just did what you did. I did what I did. Am I, am I talking to anybody with this? So we gotta grapple with these, these issues right now. Because I've seen the power in that. And I've seen people's lives changed from the inside out. Does Jesus want the best for us? Absolutely. But we gotta start somewhere. Does Jesus wanna see healing in all these areas of our lives? Absolutely, but we have to start somewhere. Every single situation that it was represented up here, does Jesus wanna see his design and his purpose outworked 100%? But we got to start somewhere. And I'm telling you where it starts. It starts at bread and it starts at blood. That's where it starts. Because here's the third truth. In Jesus, we are invited into true satisfaction. The great theologian Mick Jagger once said, I can't get no satisfaction. Jesus tells us different though. John 6, 58, he says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. I wanna tell you today that in Jesus, in Jesus, we find everything that we need. We find the satisfaction that we need. It starts with bread and blood. And the problem is, is that right now, so many people view and critique the church in this space that we hate people and we're against people and all those different things. I can tell you, our pastoral team, 
We know what we believe about the Bible. I know what I believe about every single one of these situations, and that's for a whole nother message to be able to unpack that. But I can tell you this, this church does not hate people. <laughs> We're all invited to the table. And Jesus reclines at that table with us. And he says, just eat and drink. And if you would take this body and you would take this blood, it'll change you. It's Jesus, only Jesus. Everything starts at that place. So what do bread baskets and Team Edward have to do with Jesus? Everything. Because it's in him that we find true satisfaction. In Jesus' name. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around.